Welcome back to Becoming Next on Scene, everybody. It is your host, Jackie Zook. It is another awesome day for another awesome episode of How to Become Next on Scene in your field of business or in your passion. Before I bring on my amazing guest, I always like to start with a marketing tip to get your week started with some inspiration of things you could do on your own, or if it's ready, if it's time for you that you're ready to outsource and hire an expert, then these might be helpful tips to consider if it's not your strong suits. So um, marketing tip of the day, I want to talk about the importance of basically not feeling like you have to do posts every day. I think so many people have this internal pressure and everybody has their own marketing device, right? And this really comes from my friend, Erin, who texted me today. So Erin, if you listen to this, you're awesome. Um, You do not need to post every day. Like for it to be authentic, authentic posting is not happening every day. Let's be completely honest. And the people that are doing that are content creators that are pre-filming content days, if not months in advance. So I think it's really important to be realistic with how you're showing up and you're going to authentically attract way more opportunities and people into your life when the posting feels authentic to you. I am a true believer in planning in advance anyway, but I think three days a week is perfect. And I think it will get you the opportunities that you want and it will surround you with the people that are meant to be in your sphere. So that is my marketing tip of the day. And now I'm so excited for my amazing guest. We have Chris Pallone, who is a freelance correspondent for NBC News. He has so many good nuggets. I can't wait for you to learn from him and be sure to follow him after the end of the episode. ups, the downs, and all the in-between, what it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene. Welcome back to Next On Scene, everybody. I'm so excited to be here with Chris Pallone. He's a freelance correspondent for NBC News. Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And I love that I learned when we just started talking about it, that you're from Boston, but you lived in New York for 12 years and I'm in New York originally and now live in Boston. So yeah. definitely have those crossovers. So tell me a little bit and my audience about your backstory. Like how did you fall into the world of news? You know, I, I guess I, I would trace it back to when I was going to Central Catholic High School here in Lawrence. Um, I really was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, you always have pressure from your parents of like, you should be a doctor, you know, obviously, uh, yeah, whatever. And um, I, I really thought I was going down that path. First, I wanted to be a space shuttle commander and it turned out you needed perfect vision. And so that crushed my dreams as a sophomore, you know, taking a lot of science classes. And then I was like, yeah, I guess I could be a doctor. And I flipped on the TV one day and on PBS, there was infant skull surgery. And I watched that for about 10 minutes and I got so sick to my stomach. I was like, I'm not doing that. And one of my doctor friends now was like, well, you didn't have to be a surgeon. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But still I couldn't hack it. And um, just talking with my guidance counselor uh, at the time, he was kind of like, what do you like? And I'm like, I-, I love TV. I love sports. At the time, that was the heyday of Boston TV news, you know, Chet and Natalie, Jack and Liz, Bob Lobel. And um, I really, really love watching the news. And my parents always had NBC Nightly News on when we were eating dinner. And so I just started kind of focusing on something to do with either TV, uh, either being like a, a, a sitcom writer or going into news. And when I got 
accepted into Syracuse and decided that I was going to go to Syracuse, I figured I'd try a few things out and really started to enjoy the journalism part of it, uh, starting in sports, but then realizing that there are a lot more jobs available in news. And so I did both throughout my time there. And when it was time to get out of Syracuse, I started applying for sports and news jobs and just figured that uh, my path would choose me, so to speak. And that's exactly what happened. Huh. So like what actually came first? Was it the news or the sports when you left? I I got so when when I was in college, um, I didn't I had a lot of classmates who had a, a lot of means. Right. They could go intern in New York for free. And I just couldn't do that. I had to work. And so I would always come back here to the Merrimack Valley and I happened to get this little internship at a place called Continental Cablevision, the precursor of today's Comcast. And I was um, I was working on little, uh, for, for lack of a better term, community access programs. They weren't community access. These were paid professionals, but they were very small programs. But I ran camera and I learned how to edit. And I happened to meet a guy who is a he's in the mass broadcasting hall of fame he was a legend here in the merrimack valley for 50 years guy named bruce arnold uh who basically was the voice of wccm radio here in the the merrimack valley and he took a liking to me one day He, he came in once a week to do a tv show and we started chatting and he knew that i was in syracuse for broadcasting and so he started sending me out to cover city council meetings at night after I finished doing my internships and my job at Market Basket and, and everything I was doing to make money. And I started going to Lawrence and Hayroll and North Andover and going to their boring city council meetings that nobody wanted to go to. And so that by the time I got ready to graduate, they had a morning news anchor job available at WCCM. And Bruce was like, look, it's seven bucks an hour. It's part time, but I know you want to go into television. So it's a good option until you get your first TV job. And and that's what I did. So I came back here in May of 1996 and worked until uh, October of that same year before I got my first television job in Jackson, Mississippi. I learned my first hard lesson in broadcasting that uh, get it in writing because I I got a call from the news director one day saying, hey, we're looking for producers and we know that our consultant met with you when you were at Syracuse. Uh, do you want to come produce for us? And I said, no, I don't. And the guy said, you don't? And I said, no, I know I want to be a reporter and an anchor. And he said, okay, never mind. And he hung up. And then the next day, his boss called me and said, you talked to my news director yesterday and, and you turned down a job. And I said, yeah, I really want to be a reporter and anchor. And he said, well, what if we could uh, make some sort of position where you were like weekend reporter, three day a week producer or three day a week reporter and weekend producer? I said, that would be great because I would love to try producing. And when I got down there, what they actually did was they made me the overnight producer for the morning show. And they essentially said, if you want to report, you are free to do so any day of the week after you finish your morning show. And because I was 22 years old and had the stamina of a 22-year-old, I would work from 10.30 at night until about 7, 7.30 in the morning until my show was off the air. And then two days a week, um, sometimes more, I would shave, put on a shirt and tie, and go out and report for the 5 and 6 o'clock news that day. So I'd be working these 18-hour days twice a week. And after... It, it, 
not to sound immodest or whatever, but I was very quickly their best reporter. And so they started during sweeps months, you know, during ratings, they would take me off my show and put me on full-time reporting for a month until the ratings book was over. And then they let me back to my show because nobody wants to produce overnight. And after about two years, they finally made me a full-time reporter. So cool. Yeah. So how long, how many years were you in Mississippi for? Four years in Mississippi, probably one year too long. I, I felt like I wasn't ready to go after two years, uh, especially I was just getting my feet wet and reporting. And um, it took me four years to get my next job, which was in Birmingham, Alabama. I had friends from the Jackson market who went there and were working over there. And they brought my, they walked my tape into the news director and ended up helping me get a job at the NBC affiliate there. And my career could have gone in two paths. I had an offer in New Orleans, which is where I really, really wanted to work. I wanted to go to New Orleans and then hopefully come home to Boston. And the offer I got in New Orleans was terrible. It was low money. It was a, it might not even been a fourth place station. They were a perennial also ran and um, the news director seemed psychotic. She was screaming at people in the middle of my interview and it just was bad vibes all the way around. And I got this offer in Birmingham and, you know, Birmingham wasn't the city that New Orleans is. And, but it was an, it was owned by NBC. The station was owned by NBC and it was good money. And it just felt like working for a network was going to be a good opportunity. And that's exactly what happened because the, the free freelance role I've been doing for 12 years now for NBC is directly because of the contacts that I made while working for this NBC owned station in Birmingham. And I was there for uh, 11 or 12 years. Uh, yeah, about 11 years. And so anytime something big happened, basically between Dallas, Miami and Raleigh, where we had other owned stations, if there was a major tornado or hurricane or something like that, my station would send me with our satellite truck to go do live shots for this entity called NBC News Channel, where I would do live reports for NBC affiliates across the country until News Channel could bring in their own, own correspondence. And that's how I made contacts. And so ultimately, when I got to New York with no job and no prospects, my producers that really liked me from, from NBC were like, what are you doing? And they hired me to do the Jerry Sandusky Penn State uh, sex abuse trial uh, because they had a correspondent who couldn't do it. And I did that for like two or three weeks on a freelance basis. And I've been working for them ever since. Wow. And then yeah. how did the sports come about? Like, when did you kind of fall into that more like on a professional? So I, um, uh, in the, in my latter years, so, so when I was in Birmingham, my bosses knew that I was, um, I was a huge sports fan and I had done a lot of sports. Even when I was in Mississippi, a, a fellow producer who was my roommate and I would go work for free on weekends. We'd take a camera and we'd go to like, um, if Ole Miss or Mississippi State was playing somewhere, we would go to the next biggest game. We would go to an Alabama game or we would go to uh, um, a Florida game or something like that. And we'd do it for free just because we wanted to see these stadiums. And so I kind of did that in Mississippi. And then when I got to Birmingham, if there was ever a news related sports story, like somebody on the Alabama football team got arrested or they fired their coach or whatever, I was kind of the first news guy to go cover it along with our sports team. And as the industry changed and we got sold by NBC to a, to a company that uh, was not long for this world and was not a very good company, they cut our sports staff from three people down to one. 
And my boss came to me. And when you're in Birmingham, Alabama, you have to cover Alabama and Auburn equally or else you get, you know, all kinds of angry calls and letters. And so my boss came to me and said, hey, look, we've got one sports guy and we've got two teams we have to cover during football and basketball season. Do you want to split time with sports? And so we worked out a deal where um, I would I would cover a big college football game on Saturday. I would do high school football on Friday nights. I would have Sunday, Monday off on Tuesday. I would do news and um, Wednesday I would anchor sports for the sports director and Thursday I would do news. And that kind of rejuvenated my career after being in it for about a decade. And I got to have a lot of fun anchoring, um, kind of showing my personality, anchoring sports. And so then um, I kind of de facto became a a part of the sports team for the last several years that I was in, in Birmingham. And then when basketball season ended, I went back to straight news for a few months. And then when football started back up, I kind of uh, go back to my hybrid role. Well, it sounds like it never got boring, right? No, no, and never did. And uh, that was, you know, I, I I ended up going to like four national championships with Auburn and Alabama. And uh, truly some of the most fun times of, of, of my career were getting up on Saturday mornings and driving to a, you know, a stadium with a hundred thousand people and, 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 and covering sports. So I, I was able to, you know, itch my, my scratch, my sports itch, even though it hasn't been the bulk of my career. And then through my work at NBC, I occasionally do um, Super Bowls. And I was at the opening game of the season in Kansas City this year. So it's a it's a good way to mix up some of the horrible, horrible things that For I cover sure. on a daily basis, you know. For sure. That was going to lead to my next question. Like, what were, would you say are two of your most memorable, like, things you've covered to date? Um, Hurricane Katrina is one that will always stick with me. Uh, just the sheer scope of the devastation throughout the, the Gulf Coast, not just New Orleans, but across uh, Mississippi and Alabama as well. And um, the, the Newtown School Massacre. Um, it's, it was just a, a, a turning point in this country and, and something I, I had covered uh, mass shootings. And I had, uh, I covered my first school shooting in, uh, Pearl, Mississippi. I think that was like 1997 or 1998. And compared to what we see today, it really was kind of, I don't even know if it would make big national news today where a student, uh, killed his mother or grandmother and then went to school and shot two students, um, compared to what we've seen over the last 25 years. I mean, that's really, uh, uh, you know, uh, out of the norm or, or something we're a little more used to, unfortunately. Uh, but Newtown really just changed me in a fundamental way. And um, I still have uh, nightmares and, and uh, just horrible, horrible feelings about, about my time there. And it's difficult for me to drive on, on uh, I-84 driving through Newtown is just difficult. And yeah. uh, I, st- I still feel terrible about that. But yeah, I would say Katrina and uh, certainly not the most fun stories I've ever covered, but two of the most impactful. And then what about fun? Light, light fun has been, I, I love weather. And so like weather that doesn't hurt anybody. I love blizzards. Um, th- there was a, there was a day, I don't know if at the time I thought it was fun, but um, there was a day where I was covering Chris Christie's inauguration uh, as governor of New Jersey, and this weird storm popped up and ended 
up dumping a couple feet of snow on, on New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I had to drive from Trenton, New Jersey to Philadelphia in a rented uh, Chevy sedan, like a Malibu or something. And I, I, I don't know how I made it to this day. It was so uh, treacherous. But uh, the, then the next day I was on uh, the, the mall outside of Independence Hall doing live shots next to Dylan Dreyer from the Today Show. And um, I, I love doing crazy weather that, like I said, that doesn't any, get anybody hurt. Um, I was at the Super Bowl where the Patriots beat the Falcons in Houston. And I mean, obviously, as a Patriots fan, that was like the most incredible. I, I was really having a hard time hiding my inherent bias during that game. Um, <laughs> but but that was just a, a really, really memorable time. Um, you know, I I. They, we ran into the stadium when you, when you're part of post game media, you have to wait outside until a few minutes left to go in the game. And by the time we made it to the, to the field, I could just hear loud boos and I couldn't figure out why. And that's when Roger Goodell was starting to talk to present the Patriots with the trophy and all that. And um, it, it was just uh, what a, what a thrill it was to be there. And I've been to other, like I said, I've been to other NFL games that have been a lot of fun and, um, you know, the opening game, never been to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And I did that at the beginning of this year. And that was really, really impressive. No Taylor Swift at that point, but uh, but still an, an enjoyable time. Totally. Now it's like a mark on the country, right? It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's so cool. It's really cool that somebody could have that much of an impact. It's pretty cool. I know. We, we had a good debate yesterday. My group text was arguing, you know, whether Madonna at her peak versus Taylor Swift at her peak were, were more influential or, um, you know, had more of a cultural impact. And I think in the last six months, Taylor Swift has blown by Madonna, you know, uh, which is hard to do because if you were alive during the eighties, you know, it, it really was a, a phenomenon and she might've had more cultural, uh, push, push the culture forward and kind of push some of our limits forward more than maybe Taylor Swift has, but Taylor Swift has conquered country music and pop and has the power of the internet at her disposal. So it's been right. incredible to watch. It's crazy because, like, she doesn't even have a huge social media press. Like, she's not right. posting all the time. Right. Right? Like, that's just mind-blowing. Like, really right. inspiring. So cool. That's a really fun fact. I liked your opinion on the Madonna-Taylor yeah. Swift thing. Yeah. Sharing that. So, okay. I want to talk about your fun facts. So this is what mm-hmm. I love that you shared. So you once won the funniest news person contest. <laughs> tell, tell us about this a little bit. I don't know. I don't even remember how I got roped into this. And somebody said, um, there's this charity event. It's going to be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the funniest news person in Birmingham or whatever, or the funniest news person in Alabama or something like that. Do you want to do this? And you know, I, I'm somebody who, if you asked me, you know, if you gave me a couple of drinks, say, are you funny? I'd say, yeah, I think I'm funny, you know, whatever. But I don't know that I would brag about it or try to prove it. And um, the, what you had to, so there were a bunch of reporters and anchors. And what you had to do was tell one joke. And I started, you know, my dad's a great joke teller. He always said, like, I'm not a guy who walks around with 50 jokes on hand. And uh, I started asking people and, and kind of looking up jokes that I thought would kind of hit with this type of audience that, you know, and, and I told my joke and it brought the house down and I was really, really surprised. And so I ended up winning. So what did you win? Anything good? Uh, it's a big trophy, big trophy. That's, that's the cool. funniest news. I have a picture of it. I don't have the trophy anymore, but I, I was going through my photos. That's kind of what jogged my memory is. I was going through my vast 
iCloud photo display and I see myself standing there in a suit wearing this, uh, holding this goofy trophy that's about, you know, four feet tall or whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, I won funniest, funniest broadcaster in Birmingham or whatever. Hilarious. I love, that's a really fun fact. (laughs) So I'm glad you shared that. Okay. Then you watched a basketball game with George Clooney. Share more about that. That's pretty interesting. So one night I was, this was in Jackson, Mississippi. There was this Italian restaurant that is still there to this day. And if anybody goes to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Memphis, Nashville, I think they have an outpost now. There's a place called Amerigo. It was my absolute favorite restaurant in the world. And it was one of these restaurants that has an amazing bar. It's got this square kind of cheers style bar. And I used to, after work, I would go and post up there if I had a rough day and have a couple drinks and some, some pasta And this was some random Tuesday or Thursday night. And it was moderately busy when I got there and I sat down and I talked to the bartender and there was a, a, an SEC basketball game up on, up in the corner. It was Kentucky. And after a while, the place started to clear out. And I noticed there was a guy in the corner underneath the TV who had a hat pulled on, pulled down low. And he was very clearly watching and invested in this game and um, as time went by and the place cleared out and it ended up just being me and this guy, I realized that's George Clooney. And he was in town filming, oh, brother, where art thou? Uh, and we had heard that they were staying in an apartment complex. All the stars and, and the cast and crew were staying at an apartment complex not far from this restaurant. And I just kind of kept looking and it was dark, but I was like, that's George Clooney. And um, so... He, he said something about a foul or whatever. I made a comment about something on the screen and he commiserated with me and whatever. And at some point in the game, he just said, Oh, I'm, I'm George. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Chris. And we watched the game. And so cool. at the end of, and at the end of the night, I said, George, it was great. watching the game with you. Good luck to Kentucky. I told, I think I told him at that point, um, uh, Syracuse had lost to Kentucky in the national championship my senior year of college. And so I said, Hey, I went to Syracuse, you know, you guys killed us in the national championship or whatever. He's like, yeah, I was at that game. I said, yeah, me too. And, uh, and when, when it was time to go, I just said, George, it, it was great talking to you and good luck to Kentucky the rest of the way. And we walked out and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, I, I always heard that celebrities kind of enjoy if you just treat them like regular people. And so, uh-huh. You know, that that was before the day of selfies, and I didn't feel like, a, uh, you know, I'm not an, what am I going to do with this signature? I just had a great story to tell. That's really cool. And then the last yeah. one I thought, because I could relate with the clown story, like that you're like, do you don't like clowns at all, but you come no. day parade and like walk me through a scenario I want to Yeah, hear. I, um, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things that I've always kind of, like, I remember one of my earliest memories as a child is my parents drove us in from Long Island to uh, Madison Square Garden to see the circus. And I had to be like four or younger. And I remember being terrified. And I associated that terror because it was like big city and and in in the circus, it was loud noises and cannons going off. And I always associated being that scared that young with the clowns. And so I've kind of always, and then like poltergeist came out when I was a kid and that clown doll And so, like, I've just always kind of avoided them and not put myself in any sort of position where I was around clowns. And one time in Birmingham, I had to go to the circus to 
Um, it was like they were they were honoring Iraq war veterans at the circus or something. And all of a sudden a clown came around the corner and I felt my heart start racing. And, and like even talking about it right now, I'm kind of getting jeeped up. It's really weird. Like I need mean, I probably probably need to tackle this with my therapist at some point. Um, but but like I just I, I saw them coming and I just and they went to go meet the family. And I just turned to my photographer and I said, I'm out. I got to go sit in the car. And so, um, and he thought it was a riot and like, you know, just, just absolutely thought it was the funniest thing, but he had to sh finish shooting the story. So one year I'm, I did the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade when I was in uh, New York several years in a row. And, um, I was doing a live shot. I have the video. I was doing a live shot and, um, the anchor said something along the lines of looks like you've got, you, you've, you've got some friends there with you, Chris or something. And I went, Oh, and I turned around and no lie. There were like 200 clowns amassing up at the start of the parade, getting ready to, to march in the parade. And they were kind of like acting goofy behind me or whatever. And whenever I turned around, um, all of a sudden I just saw my producer, my good friend, Alicia Savides, who lives in Holliston. She buckled. She like ducked behind the camera. I saw the camera guy look out and duck behind the camera and I could see their shoulders shaking. And they said that all the blood drained from my face when I saw these clowns and, and you could just tell that I was like immediately in a panic. And so I'm talking to, of all people, the guy who could corroborate this story is Doug Meehan from channel five because he was the anchor in Phoenix at the NBC station I was on the air with at the time. And so credit to their producers and Doug, but he played this for all it was worth. Like they must've blown out other sections of the newscast that morning. It's Thanksgiving morning. What's going on? Right. right? right. Because then he started saying, uh, Chris, you seem to be a little troubled and started asking me about my clown phobia and telling me to go talk to the clowns and he and his co-anchor are i can hear them crying i can see my camera guy and the audio guy and the producer crying and i am just standing there in a dead panic sweating bullets and trying not to pass out because uh i was confronted with my biggest one of my biggest fears yeah look clowns are not fun they are definitely creepy like i do agree with that so but that makes sense story that makes a great story my, my photographer after that time in Birmingham tried to get my boss to go along with I guess at the time Ringling Brothers had this program for people who were afraid of clowns and they would have you meet the clown before he put his makeup on and then he would put on his makeup and I was like no no I don't want to do that I'm sure he's a great guy I do not want to do that like I just I'm telling you right now that that's not going to like, I know people who are afraid of flying. They put them on flight simulators and stuff like that. Like, no, this was not going to work for me. Like I'm just going to throw up or pass out. Like, like let's not do this. So I've been pretty good at being able to avoid them. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Great story, though. So thank you for like openly sharing that. That's let, let this be a lesson to all your listeners and your viewers that TV people are cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> we have some strange things going on. It's, but it's all captured on camera, right? So it's great. It makes a great memory. Right. So, so let's close out and share like what's next for you? Like what are some goals you have for yourself? Like where do you see yourself in the next year? What's what do you yeah. have? I mean, this is, this is, you know, freelance is a weird, uh, weird bird. It's like, you're part of the team, but you're not really part of the team. But I have to say that, uh, you know, I, I really am a part of the team and, and my 
people at NBC um, have been fantastic to me over the past dozen years. And everything has always been uh, really, really interesting. And this is going to be a big year, obviously, especially for us at NBC, where we've got the Olympics. It's an election year, which always uh, turns things up to 11. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, personally for me, I want to work as much as humanly possible and I want to get out there and, 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 and see everything across the country and just do the best job. I, I, you know, I'm lucky because I, I do do a lot of stuff for MSNBC, but my primary, most of the times that people will see me on TV is on their local NBC affiliates. I work for this entity called NBC News Channel at CBS. It's called CBS Newspath. There's all these little entities that do report national reports for your local affiliates. And I am a big believer still in local news. I know that uh, a lot of times it can be irrelevant to people's lives and, you know, the, the, the fire or the car crash or whatever sometimes isn't the most compelling content. But when there's a, a something bad happening, a big storm is bearing down or there's some sort of local emergency, people turn to us first. And so, you know, to this day, I think that a lot of the, you know, the print outlets haven't, you know, you know, you don't go to the, the globe, say, so to speak, if, if something really important is about to happen and you need immediate up to date information. And so I just um, I, I think that it's more important than ever that we continue to do a very good job of whether I'm filling in in Washington and doing White House and Capitol Hill stuff or if I'm down in Louisiana or Florida talking about, you know, the next big hurricane to come through or at the Super Bowl. I just think it's really important that we deliver accurate, timely information to people. Uh, and, 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 and the ratings show and public opinion show that more often than not, people trust their local news. They may not trust cable news. They may not trust the, uh, the network newscast or, or, or what have you. But they really do still trust their local news. And so it's more important than ever for me and my my colleagues to bring these big national stories to them and always make sure that they have true verified facts, things that they can take to the bank and that they can make decisions in their life uh, knowing that the information is accurate because there's been so much muddying of the water uh, between outlets that either um, don't conduct themselves in an ethical manner or places that are deliberately trying to muddy the water by, you know, uh, disseminating misinformation and disinformation, that it's harder than ever to be a, a person sitting at home and making decisions for your family and for your life, um, you know, not knowing who you can trust. And so I always hope to um, live up to that potential of delivering information that people can trust. And so that that's kind of it for me. I, I, I love NBC. I, I, you know, if, if, if this partnership came to an end, I would of course seek something out, you know, at a place that I, that I could believe in. But right now I want to do the best job that I can for NBC and uh, to continue to, to go to these amazing things and tell amazing stories, meeting incredible people across the country. I love that. And I want to just give you credit because every time I watch the news and I see reporters like you in crazy storms or like, like, is it the adrenaline that like gets you to get there? I'm like, wouldn't you be scared? Sure. Like, what is that like for you in that moment? Yeah, I think I think you have to remember, um, you know, it's always funny and we joke about it, too. It's like, you know, 
you know, we're going to sit there and tell people don't go outside in this while we're standing outside in this. But I also think that, you know, like I make the argument, you know, you don't know about the horrors of war unless there's a war correspondent to show and tell. And I think that's also something now we don't put ourselves in harm's way needlessly if, if, uh, if that's an option, but you also have to understand that I've been doing this for 25 years and me, me and my crew know the safest way to cover these things so that I can show you the power of this storm, the destruction of this storm, how dangerous the roads are without necessarily putting myself or anybody in too much danger. We're taking a risk always, but that's the whole point is that, you know, TV without compelling pictures is radio. And so, you know, if, if, if I'm, you know, and and is there a performance aspect to it? Of course, of course there is. I mean, there's gotta be some sort of entertainment to it. Um, that it has to be compelling while still delivering a certain message. But yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going to a hurricane, I mean, it, it's crazy. I go to so many hurricanes or, or blizzards or what have you. And in the days leading up to it, you know, we'll go to the supermarket and we'll buy supplies. And there are times where I'll buy hundreds of dollars worth of food and supplies. And the storm turns out to be not that bad. And then you're like, man, I feel terrible. And I usually go donate it to a shelter or whatever. Or if we can disseminate it amongst ourselves and the crew, we'll do that. But then there are times like in New Orleans a couple of years ago, I should have looked up the name of the storm because they all ran together that year. There were so many storms. But a few years ago, New Orleans was really hit hard. And I had to stay in a, in a hotel room, that, a hotel that didn't have power for like five or six days. We really were running low on food. You couldn't get a cell signal out. You couldn't get food anywhere. Water was hard to come by. And so I, I know how to prepare me and my crew to survive that. And um, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So there's, you know, like anything, you know, you go to see your favorite performer, you go to see your favorite sports team. There's so much work and blood, sweat, and tears that went into that performance that makes it look so easy. But yeah, I, I you know, it's 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 something that it's a challenge to to figure out a way to tell the story safely and in the most compelling way possible. But also knowing that the ultimate goal is to keep people safe and to give them information so that they can make the best decisions to keep them and their their family safe. I love that. Thank you for sharing. This isn't something that I've been pondering for years. So like, thank you for like openly sharing that. So how can people follow you on socials and stay in touch with you? Thank you so much for doing this today. You know, I, I have, uh, I have a a complicated relationship with X formerly Twitter, but I still do posts on there. Uh, it's, it's at Chris Pallone, uh, P O L L O N E. Um, I really like Instagram. I'm news dork on Instagram and on threads. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So, you, you know, you, you Google, there's not a lot of Palones out there in America to begin with. So if you Google Chris Pallone, you'll find my stuff. Where would you say, so Instagram is your favorite platform out of all of them, you would say? I think so. I just like looking at people's pictures and I like funny memes. That's kind of my thing now is like, as I've uh, rounded the bend on middle age, I just spend a lot of time sending my brother and uh, my, you know, people, people I'm friendly with uh, funny memes at the end of every day. I love so that. yeah, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I, I feel like I'm probably too old for TikTok. I have a, I have a younger friend who's in the business who sends me all the funny TikToks he comes across and I watch them about once a month in like one hour long setting. Uh, yeah. You know, that's, that's my w- one night of entertainment. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten into TikTok yet, but I really do like posting pretty pictures on, on Instagram or, or doing a quick story or whatever on Instagram. Facebook is kind of like, you know, cesspool and, um, not immediate. The algorithm is so weird that, you know, you post something on there and then people see it seven days later or whatever. So I just find that, uh, for, for my purposes, I really like it and I'm getting into threads a little bit, but, um, you know, for, for immediate information. X or Threads is going to be the best right now, and then, but but just in terms of sheer enjoyment, I really like. I, I like. Uh, I, I I fancy myself as an as a pretty good amateur photographer, and I like put it, posting pictures on on Instagram. I love it. Thank you for sharing those nuggets because I, sure. like, I have not explored Threads at all, so I was so curious from your perspective, like the value of that. So it's it's gonna you know at some point it's either going to hit a critical mass or it's not. Right. Um, you know, I, a lot of people jumped to it when when Elon Musk did some things with Twitter um, that people didn't like, but but then they kind of quickly abandoned it. And so I think it's going to have to add a certain amount of features. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like, well, who do you dance with? Because it's still owned by Facebook and Meta. Um, so it's not like it's this real organic site that's kind of edgy and new. It's another big corporate social media site. But I think that um, people who are a little afraid of some of the the unmoderated content on X, um, you know, have kind of found threads to be a little bit, um, uh, you know, delight, delightful or, or kind of just pleasing in the beginning, but who knows what it will become. It's, I think the jury's still out on what X is going to do. No, I appreciate that. Thank you for your insight. And thank you for coming sure. out today. This was so much fun. Hey, right, thanks for having me. I, like I said, uh, it's always it's always fun to talk about yourself after, uh, you know, ask, I, 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 I joke with my therapist. I'm like, can I just sit and ask you some questions someday? I'm so tired of, you know, I, I'm the question asker, you know, not, the whatever. So it's, um, it's really nice to, to, to be able to share some of the information I've gleaned in over the past 25 years. Of course. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot. So thank you, Chris. And thank you so much everyone for tuning in to becoming next on scene and stay tuned for who's next on scene. The ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene.